Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to... Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have our first fall edition of The Deciding Point. The 2023-24 college tennis season has officially begun. We have unofficial dual matches, individual head-to-head matchups happening across the country now every weekend until the start of November. Of course, it's our job here at Crack Rackets to cover it all. For all of you college tennis fans out there, it's darn near impossible for everyone to follow everything that happens in the course of any given weekend. That said, we will do our best to highlight the most notable results, the most notable events that happen in what is, again, our final normal fall in college tennis history. Next year, the individual NCAAs move to the fall. The preliminary events leading up to that all serving as de facto qualifying events for that ultimate individual NCAA championship. A lot of changes on the horizon. We have one last fall that all of us college tennis fans will recognize. As such, again, we're up in our coverage here at Crack Rackets. Of course, we will have broadcasts of the ITA All-Americans for everyone. First week of October, we'll have have fall mats first week of November as well. I think a few other things sprinkled in between. But of course, here on this show, again, we want to cover all of the college tennis action from what is the de facto first weekend of the season. We'll get to a few notable pro results for players with college tennis ties. I can't help myself at this point. But again, what we want to do, start breaking down the first results of a new season and joining me to help do precisely that as he did throughout the course of the summer, as he hopefully will do both in past springs and future springs moving forward, is the returning champion of returning champions on our Cracked Racket shows, founder of the No Ad No Problem blog and podcast, our on-the-ground beat reporter, dearest friend, John J. Parsons, joining us once again. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. Fall college tennis is upon us. We got to watch some on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. Three freshmen for Kentucky, five freshmen for Louisville, new faces for Michigan, new faces for Pepperdine, including number five newcomer Edward Winter. I'm ready to rock and roll. How are you feeling, my friend? Well, I also got my first taste in person this season. I was able to go to the Battle in the Bay. So we've both dipped our toes back in. But yeah, you mentioned, you know, this is kind of the last real fall. And I reflect on, well, you know, last weekend we had our good old friend Kitty Harrison Invitational at UNC. You love that event kicking it off. And of course, this weekend you have the NC State ranked plus one. I'm never sure what the plus one is. And then you have Battle in the Bay and 
you know, these are all rite of passage events for us, and they've become so familiar for us and that chaos of searching for results. And it's a very familiar and warm and comforting time of year. Uh, but yeah, it could be the last one, really. Yeah, no, that plus one event's essentially a WTA challenger uh, with the level of play, the quality of players in all aspects of the draw, one, two, round robin play. Yeah, you have that simultaneously Battle of the Bay. There were SEC Big 12 challenges. I have in my outline Texas, UGA, USC, hidden dual stuff. Malibu Showdown, we'll try to touch on it all here on today's show. We'll get into those pro results as well. All of that said, Jay, I'll leave the option to you. Which event would you start with when breaking down the fall? Because, again, there are so many for our listeners. I want to lead with what we think the biggest headlines are. I'll open that up to you, my friend. If you were to start with one event, what are you going to go with and why? I think you start with the NC State event. I tweeted this out. It's one of my favorite events. Uh, The draws are just so packed. I would argue that they are stronger than the ITA Fall National event, just because Fall Nats has a regional play-in. So there are sometimes regions that have players that are maybe not as strong. I mean, you look, it's just littered with top 25 players. So I think that's where we should start. Tan Gillig, uh, excuse me, Jackson versus Ratliff, two players that played top three on top 16 teams. That's a first round matchup. Ackley versus a Kupris, a, you know, again, CMRs versus a Yarlagada, Tomase, Guzman. You know, again, these are first round matchups in this battle. And that's just the A draw. You even look at the B draw, you get some really fun battles from, again, players four, five, six, where do they fit? We saw just about everyone in the Virginia lineup. You get to see talented freshmen as well, team uh, players that have moved on to new schools. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the NC State plus one is where we should start again. So many ranked players in action. Who stood out most to you, Jay? Well, it has to be Amelia Rejecki, right, who takes home the title there. And last season, you mentioned it, they have the A1 and the A2 draw. And last season in 2022, she won the A2 draw. And this year, she wins the A1 draw. She knocks out three top 25 players in her five matches there, most notably knocking out Mary Stoyana, the number two ranked player in the country from Texas A&M. And what was interesting about Rejecki's run here is we saw her play three for NC State last season, yet she makes the NCAA uh, singles semifinals. She backs up that run to start the year. These are going to be all results that will factor into her uh, individual singles rankings, her weapons, the serve. Uh, she's extremely tough to beat. And in a team that has now lost its one and two players from last season in Diana Schneider and Alana Smith, who will step up to that number one position? It will surely be Amelia Rejecki. You took every point right out of my mouth. I couldn't agree with you more. That's why NC I'm here, right? Yeah, exactly. For an NC State team, you know they're going to be fine. Four, five, six doubles. They will solve their way uh, into success in those positions. But do they have a top dog anymore? Obviously, every match they play felt like they started up 1-0. Certainly at the final site, that's precisely the case as Diana Schneider dominated. You could count on Alana Smith. She's not losing less than a three, um, worse than a three cent match. Who's going to step up and to see Rejecki get to the semifinal, uh, excuse me. Yeah. Semifinals right away at NCAAs. Now she wins this event to your point, beats a very much informed Mary Stoyana, who by the way, had a very good tournament singles and doubles Rejecki as well, two and one in doubles to go along with her single success. She was unequivocally the biggest winner of the NC state plus one. And by the way, as was her teammate, uh, 
Abigail Rancelli, who, you know, had a, the exceptional 2021 season, beats Navarro at the uh, 2022, excuse me, beats Navarro at the NCAA tournament. Here she gets wins over Arsenault, Guzman, Kieran, before getting knocked out by Contos uh, in the semifinal. Like, again, who are your new top two? How about we turn to the veterans if you're head coach Simon Earnshaw? That's the best possible scenarios. They just climb right up the, the ladder and. Obviously, this weekend, they look like they will fit the part. So, good weekend for NC State across the board. Any other play? I mean, we can spend all day on this. Who else would you point to? Give me the rapid fire. Well, uh, you know, Sarah Hamner won the backdrop after dropping her first round match to Abby Forbes. Hamner uh, has had good fall results in the past, certainly her freshman season in 2021 when she won the All-American title. So she goes four and one on the week, uh, getting good wins over players like Alana Wolfberg, uh, Carol Lee of Georgia Tech. Um, so some good results from her. And then I'd point to Arena Contos. Arena Contos always starts the fall pretty well. I feel like she's always having good results here. She makes the final there, losing to Rejecki. And I would say Ohio State in general. So they had Luciana Perry, who's one of their freshmen, come in. And I believe she made the finals of the A2 yeah. draw. Mm-hmm. Um, so a really good result for her. You look for them, that top three of Contos, Perry, and Ratliff. Uh, it's a nice blend of experience and fresh faces. Yeah, uh, I would point to the UVA team in general who are all in that A2 draw and Shake makes the semis. Ziodato wins the A2 draw. I think she beat Collard, if memory serves me correct, in the semifinals yep. there as well. So just a good weekend all around for uh, for the Who's. I thought, you know, again, NC State across the board, one of the biggest winners. Yes, it was a home event, but they got, I think they had the back draw winner in the A2 draw as well. I think Stoyana making the semifinals is just indicative. She is going to once again be one of the five best players in the in the college tennis scene this year. And yes, she got knocked off there, but I'm looking for you know again, if she's at one, and then all these new pieces for A and M get time to acclimate themselves lower in the lineup. A and M's just so clearly going to be a part of the conversation. Can I give you a weird takeaway coming out of this, and then if you can give final thoughts? Sure. And we talked about this, I think off. Mike, but I'm fascinated by the new Oklahoma pieces and what this team is going to look like. Because again, Donna Guzman has not lost a lot of matches when healthy in the Oklahoma lineup. And, you know, you bring in a Shisherbina, you bring in an Arushia, you add those pieces to Staker, Garcia Ruiz, year two. It's an interesting core. And I thought, you know, again, Garcia Ruiz, I think, got knocked out by Patch Galeva. I know Guzman won a match in the main draw. I saw Arushia, Shishurbina both in it as well. I don't know. You know, again, we're starting to make our preseason rankings, Jay. I don't know if I'm going to have them top 10 or not. They are borderline. Like, they're in that top 10 fringe conversation. Yeah, and I think that's the sort of team where you will look heavily to these fall results to see yeah. at what level uh, is Shershurbina, is Arushia, how well is Garcia Ruiz playing in her second year now that she knows the rope. So that's sort of what you're looking for. And I think bigger picture, what do I find fascinating about these fall events? What catches my eye? It's almost never a established player playing worse than maybe we expected if someone's not having the results that is often an indication that maybe they didn't play as much this summer maybe they were injured what you're looking for is 
the additional data points for the players that you might not have as much data on. Those are either going to be new players into college, so freshmen or transfers. How are they adapting to the new environment, new conferences, new players? Uh, that's typically what you're looking at. I don't put a lot of stock in players underwhelming early in the fall, but put stock in, in players uh, surprising. Fair enough. Any other weird takes from the plus one? Or just takes oh, in general. Yeah, I don't know about weird takes, but look, I think Michigan looks really good. Uh, and I think in particular, looking to see how strong Charney is, if she'll factor into this Michigan lineup. Uh, I thought I, I came away feeling pretty good about Michigan. And then I was disappointed in North Carolina. A lot of them pulled out from the backdraw. You had Brantmeyer, Tangillig, Forbes all pull out the backdraw. It's pretty disappointing for a lot of these teams who go to play this event and want to get all of their matches in. It's never fun to have a withdrawal. So uh, I hope they're all healthy, but um, not a great showing from North Carolina. I think Yara Legata made the backdraw final in the A1. I mean, again, continues yep. her winning ways in the fall. I, Carolina, I, like again, whatever. Wake me up when it's national indoors and they're going for five straight. Um yeah, I, again, I thought it was a really good event across the board. There were a lot of Texas names. Like, there were just a lot of names in the draw, a lot of good matches. You could spend some time looking at all of them. I do feel like we got the biggest takeaways, again, for Rejecki to win the event. NC State success everywhere. Ohio State success everywhere. I'm glad you mentioned that one as well because, yeah, Kanto's not just the final, but Ratliff did fine as well. And there are a couple names you could turn to A1, A2, doubles who had success. That's your plus one event. Well done, as always, by Coach Earnshaw and the Wolfpack in putting that on. Let's go next to where you were Battle of the Bay. Let's start on the women's side. Jay, what stood out to you? Connie Ma, by the way, taking the singles title for those curious at home. Savannah Brodus, Lucia Pyre taking the doubles title. Again, Brodus and anyone. I think that team can have success. They take the title over Ma and Blake. Your reflections from it, Jay? Well, just briefly there on Savannah Brodus. This is her third straight Battle <laughs> in the Bay doubles title. So she uh, she likes these courts. She likes this environment. I mean, big picture, what makes the Battle in the Bay event so special? It's hosted by the California Tennis Club, which is you know smack dab in the heart of San Francisco. Players and coaches are housed by... Uh, families who are members of that club, often very wealthy families. Uh, so that is always a, a fun element for a lot of these players. And, you know, the members really get behind. It's a unique environment where, you know, you kind of have the um, the restaurants sitting behind a lot of the courts and they have ball kids at these events. So it's a really special event for a lot of these players. It's a cool event to go to. What stuck out to me on the women's side was, one, the fact that Stanford even played this event. So someone like Connie Ma didn't begin her fall season last year until regionals. So, you know, seeing her not only play this event, but win this event, I thought was a testament to her commitment into uh, college tennis this fall and her and Angelica Blake partnering together in double. So that was great to see. It was a really great event for Oklahoma State uh, by and large. So you had two players, uh, Obi Kajuru, who transferred from Iowa State to Oklahoma State, uh, make the semifinals. Uh, Miyamoto also made the semifinals. And then Lucia Pear knocked out Savannah Brodus and then fell 
in the quarterfinals. So uh, a good showing for Oklahoma State in general. And then lastly, Amelia Honor of UCSB, who makes the finals and falls to Connie Ma. She's quietly had a really good campaign last season and continued this on. She's not in a Power 5 conference, so it doesn't get as much visibility, but I thought she was playing some excellent tennis. Yeah, quarterfinals and doubles as well. She and Camille Kiss knock off the top seeds, granted Narendorn in that first round. It was a little message from Connie Ma, like, hey, I know we got these flashy recruits coming in, and I know I didn't play one last year, but no, no. If we're playing the Battle of the Bay, let me go play it. Let me go win it. I was pro-Oklahoma State last week, having seen them, again, at the uh, OK OK Tennis Foundation uh, charity event. And look, I mean, yeah, you mentioned it. The success you saw here for Pyre to step out the way she did, you add that to a really good top two in Obian and uh, Komar, Anastasia Komar, the transfer coming over from LSU. That's a really good top two. Then you add Pear and Miyamoto and Rojas and all of these returning pieces, Carrington in the mix as well. Look, Oklahoma State's hosting NCAAs. They want to be there for that quarterfinal round. They might just have the pieces to do it. I agree. They certainly stood out. Not the best week for Georgia. A bunch of players, tough exits. I know Vidmanova knocked out quarterfinals three sets, but I'm not particularly worried about one. You know, again, it's an opening weekend. You look more for the extreme positives than anything else this early, and that would be I, – I think you nailed all the women's takeaways. Men's side of things, talk me through what you saw. Well, the biggest takeaway is, is Michigan State the second-best team in the Big Ten? It's a fantastic question. One of the fun ones in the offseason, Jay. What would you see? Well, I mean, for one of the first times in a long time at the Battle in the Bay, you had two te- two players from the same team in Michigan State. You had Ozan Barris, the second year, facing his teammate graduate transfer, Ronnie Holman, coming in from LSU. They both played fantastic tennis throughout the entire event. Uh, Ozan Barris ended up winning the title there. And one of the great things about the Battle in the Bay, and this is true on both the men's and the women's side, it's one of the rare events this fall season that actually grants ATP Challenger or 60K wildcards to the winners. And this year they actually granted two Challenger wildcards and two 60K wildcards. You won those either by winning the entire event or on Saturday night they had a shootout event where they played 10-point tiebreakers, and the winner of those also got a wild card. Ozon Barris walks away with wild cards to both the Tiburon and the Fairfield Challenger. Uh, so he was playing with a lot of energy, and uh, and he and uh, teammate really swept the event. Yeah, great wins. Again, to beat Montez, Colton Smith, Ferrani Holman, to beat Pennington, Ozalins, and your teammate Holman, Pennington, by the way, through the semis, he beats Von der Schulenberg in the quarterfinals. That's a fan. Listen, this quarterfinal set Montez Holman, Smith Gorsney, Pennington, Von der Schulenberg, Barris Ozalens. That's a, that's a real good quarterfinal set of matches you were treated to. And by the way, Colton Smith, semifinals singles, wins doubles with Herman Hoyer. All it's a very good result for them. Pennington and Maxted semi-finalists in doubles as well. So again, for a TCU team turning the page, you feel like they've got some pieces to turn that page pretty quickly in the post-Jong Fomba era. To address your opening statement, here's the thing. Buckeyes are the unequivocal favorite. They bring back all the big horses. You look at some of the other rosters. I really liked what I saw from the Michigan Wolverines this weekend. I loved what I saw. You know, again, without Nino, Bickersteth goes undefeated. 
Gavin gets a good win. Uh, again, Steiglander's a real piece. He'll be ready to play right away. Swenson goes 3-0 in doubles. He has the weapons. Can he find the confidence? What I mean to say is anyone who's wondering, is the bottom going to fall out from under Michigan in head coach Sean Mamie's first year after the first after the top three, Styler, Fenty, Maloney, exit from last season? It will not. Michigan will be making the NCAA tournament this year. I'm very certain of that. And I know, again, that's adjusting the standards. I'm just saying, I still think they're very much going to be a top 25 team in the hunt. Illinois brings back a lot of pieces. Like, again, Ozalens is back. He's a top guy. I think Heck has proven he can be consistent in big matches as well. You know, again, when he's healthy, Petrov can be that good. They bring back pretty much everyone from last season. This was a team that, again, NCAA tournament team, we know they're always frisky, particularly at home. NC, uh, excuse me, Michigan State's top three is probably better, or top two is probably the best of all the groups. You know, again, as good as Ozalans and Heck are to have Homan, Ozan, you feel like Michigan State should be 2-0 there. All due respect to Gavin, Nino, whoever, Bickerstaff, whomever the top two are for Michigan. On paper, Michigan State should be up 2-0 there. The question is, do they have the depth? And they bring in the freshman Thanos. People speak very high of him. The fifth-year Collard comes in as a transfer as well. Max Sheldon has been solid in the top two of the lineup. You're asking him to play four, five this year. You feel like he can hold his own at that position. Doubles four, five, six. What are the Spartans going to get from that? If they get 500 or better... They probably do end up as the second best team. What I mean again, Jay. Final word on this goes to you. Uh, any final ba- battle of the Bay thoughts, Michigan State thoughts, and yeah, all things in person college tennis. Well, I'm just curious to track this Big Ten development over the course of the spring because I think you are right. I think that top two is better than all of those other teams, and I think uh, you know you saw Michigan State take the Milwaukee Tennis Classic doubles title without. No Homan or Barris. So they clearly have other pieces. But yeah, it'll be a question of their depth. But a lot of energy from Michigan State right now. And um, yeah, it'll be something to monitor in the spring for sure. Harry's done an exceptional job rocking and rolling right away. And yeah, again, to get the two finalists there, fantastic. Good to see Montez and Von der Schulenberg play. I wonder, you mentioned the wild cards. I also wonder, knowing the significance of the rankings, the challenger program as well it's like hey i'm gonna play this fall i may sacrifice my pro ranking now but if i can get wild cards into challenger events at the end of this season then my pro career is really rocking and rolling like i just do wonder if that factors in for those who knowing hey by the way we might be playing two and three behind rodash again this season yeah i think it factors in for a lot of players right just the importance of the fall i mean you talk about at the end of may your individual ranking has 15 countable wins on it. I mean, you, if you can get five to eight of those during the spring that you feel really great about, particularly in a draw like Battle in the Bay that's continuing to attract more and more talent because of what they're doing in partnership with the ATP challengers in Fairfield and Tiburon. Yeah, I mean, why not continue to play the fall? Yeah. All right. Texas, UGA, USC. What'd you see? What'd you learn? Well, I think there was one big takeaway. And over the past few weeks, it's been, you talked about 
the bottom not falling out uh, from Michigan, which mm, we'll see. (laughs) But is the bottom going to fall out from Georgia after losing Ethan Quinn, after losing Alex Mickelson not coming to campus? Ignacio Buse is not on campus this fall. Does he come in the spring? Look, and it's been a little island of lost toys in terms of like who they're aggregating into these recruits. One standout from the transfer portal was Ryan Colby. Ryan Colby was out of the lineup for USC. He transfers into Georgia and he takes home the MVP title. He goes three and zero, often playing the top spot there against Texas and FSU and Arizona. And I thought he looked really good, had some great wins. And that is very reassuring. If you're Georgia, you're looking for kind of signs of relief. And I thought they comported themselves quite well in this event. Yeah, I thought Texas was solid. You know, again, Bailey's playing a little bit right now. Braswell's playing a little bit right now. I mean, again, for USC, I got my first Woj Tech Merrick update from my younger brother. That's his guy after he watched him play in person in Michigan last spring. Yeah, like again, it was pretty even across the board. Now, not all the big dogs were there, but I don't think anyone got particularly blitzed in this, Jay, did they? I thought USC got blitzed i thought particularly peter mock Woj Tech, a lot of these players that you would expect to be winning matches or at least going 50 50 i thought usc looked especially unimpressive relative to the talent they were bringing back and i thought georgia overperformed uh given what we were expecting them to do yeah i mean again for this usc team you know, again, assuming Dostanich is back, he's on the roster, there's no reason to think he won't be. You throw him at one, Mock slides down, Merrick slides down. You know, again, they're going to have to need some fifth years to step in. They're going to need uh, consistent seasons from a Ludwig Westrate who's been in and out of the lineup at times. I don't know. It's an interesting team. They could also yeah, just- still be adding another piece here in the upcoming months. You feel like, again, eight guys on the roster. That's them, Michigan, a few others still seem prime for some late additions. TCU. Yeah, I mean, they've been bringing in oh, TCU for sure. Uh, I mean, didn't look good this weekend okay. uh, for, for USC. All right. I'm going to take your word for it. I didn't. Again, that was one of the events. Unfortunately, it slipped by my radar. We also had an SEC Big 12 challenge. Now, again, I don't have the most results other than to say Tennessee looks pretty good. Good weekend for Shinsuke Mitsui. Volunteers 9-2 and two overall. The SEC 34-12 and 12 to the Big 12's 12-34. and 34. Tough weekends for Oklahoma State, uh, Texas Tech. Now, we didn't have Tyler Zink there, but um, you know, again, Oklahoma State two and thirteen overall. Texas Tech two and thirteen. Baylor goes eight and eight. Got to see a couple of their new faces in action. I thought they were fine. Again, Tennessee nine and two. Great weekend for Texas A and M. Aggies go fifteen and three. Tokot's got a couple of wins. J C Roddick, Luke Casper getting wins again. Just them an ability to build confidence, I suppose, early in the season. But again, just to rapid fire through those records: Tennessee nine and two, Alabama ten and seven. AM 15 and 3, Oklahoma State 2 and 13, Baylor 8 and 8, Texas Tech 2 and 13. I guess my biggest question coming out of that, Jay, is so many new pieces for Tennessee. Um, yes, assuming they do get Joe Monday back, they still have him, Mitsui, a little bit of a through line to what they've accomplished the past couple of years. But the SEC just feels so wide open. Defending champs Georgia, as you just alluded to, lose everything. You mentioned the Draxel speculation last week. That continues, but Ianni gone. 
you're working in all these new pieces for Kentucky. That said, I saw these new pieces and oh my God, are they good? Um, so I think they have real depth. They have real answers right away. South Carolina brings back more faces than others. We know they're top two for sure what they're going to be, but some other guys going to have to step up. I mean, again, A&M always has seven returning guys. So in theory, they've got some familiar faces. I do think Mississippi State belongs in this tier of conversation given their young group. All that's to say the SECJ feels so wide open. All the new faces at Florida, new coaching staff. Like, I got no idea who the favorite is right now. I don't think there's a clear-cut one. Well, I would go South Carolina, just in terms of the known entities that are returning, as well as the freshmen that they're bringing in, in, you know, Jelani Starr, Sean, I can't pronounce his last name right now. We'll get to know him better. Uh, But they have a lot of pieces coming back, assuming everyone does. And yeah, the rest of the SEC, it's going to be a down year for the SEC. And it's going to be a lot of parity, a lot of teams losing, a lot of matches on the road. I don't think you know, the SEC is going to have a elite contender this season, but it's probably going to be uh, a very fun season within the SEC. It's very competitive. Two losses you feel like might get the top seed in the conference tournament, and then yeah. that conference tournament could just be anyone's game, depending on who the host is. That host may even be the favorite. There was a U.S. Collegiate Cup at TCU. I know TCU and uh, a couple of other teams. I believe it was TCU. It was... Abilene Christian, Baylor, Oklahoma, all sending players. I know Oklahoma looks pretty good, and I like the Oklahoma core. Martinez back, Han back, Schlageter back, um, Hassan back, Colo Monsi to replace uh, to replace Cifos, and he was one of the top recruits in the country. They're going to be frisky in that top 16 battle as well. That's going to be fascinating to watch for. But my last event for us, Jay, to discuss is the Malibu Showdown. Can I rapid fire some takes at you? Yeah, please do. All right. Let's start with the hosts, Pepperdine. They got a lot of new faces. Edward Winter's as good as advertised. Reminds me of Arthur Ferry. Not the tallest guy, but his speed, his ability to beat you to the spot, comfort level moving forward, and being an aggressor in ways you just wouldn't expect for someone that size. He's got real pop on the serve, was good at doubles. He's ready to play number one. He's going to be fine. He's going to be competitive in every match he plays undefeated on the weekend. A lot of questions outside of that. Lefty Linus Carlson Halden undefeated on the weekend. He's got real weapons. We'll see how he holds up. Injuries kept him out last year, but liked his game. Feel like he can play anywhere, be fine. A lot of freshmen. You know, Fotas Fotiatis was fun to watch. You know, George Davis, the transfer from William & Mary, a fighter. If he's your five, your six, you're feeling really good about your team. He might be asked to play two or three right away. And again, that will be fascinating. We didn't see Felling this weekend. I know there are some winter additions, I believe. Uh, spring additions still to come for Pepperdine. But I think they're going to be in the top 40 hunt. They're going to get into the tournament. Can they push top 25? We'll see what those new additions are because, again, up top, who's two, who's three against the big dogs? I think that's where they're going to struggle. Any additional thoughts or can I move on to my next team? Well, you know, top 40 is not good for Pepperdine. Well, they've been top 30 the last, what, five years? I think they're going to be in that same range. Yeah, I mean, that's not good, right? This This is a team that's won the NCAA title. But it's you very know. young. This like I think it's a very good young group. Got it. Like I, I guess Winter, Carlden, Fotiatis, and whatever new pieces might be coming in as well. Like that's the core of something. They got their big. They got their big dog in Edward Winter. They got him for four years. Like right now, you have a window. 
Sorry, not to push back, but please. Well, it's your statement. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to be top 40. Uh, and that's not, I mean, that's bad. That's bad for Pepperdine. This is a Pepperdine team that's okay. been trying to push top 16 and we're taking steps back year after year. It feels like, just feels like they're not reloading the way they no, need but, to be. But but I guess, oh, sorry, I guess I can't speak to if they'll be top 16 or not. What I'm saying is what I learned first weekend of a season, what's the what's the floor? Like wh- that's, that's my takeaways from all these things. What is your floor moving forward? I don't know what your ceiling is yet. We got a long fall to think about the ceiling, but what's your floor? And what I'm saying the floor for this Pepperdine team is despite all the new pieces, they're getting into the tournament. I guess that's my takeaway. Okay. Yeah, all right. Louisville next. I like their freshmen. Man, they got a lot of interesting Avendano, Loco, all of Stavica. I really like Nakanishi. Um, they just have real pieces. And look, we didn't see much of Natan Rodriguez. We didn't see any of Fabian Sale. It's a young group. Again, I think they're going to get back into the tournament. Well, isn't Sale gone? Uh, I think Dene. Yes, yeah. thank you. Dene is the one back, correct? We didn't see him or Rodriguez much the weekend, but I think, again, it's a group they should match last season. Second round NCAA tournament, no less. I don't think they're top 16 yet, but it's a core certainly to build around. Michigan will it, do quick. Oh, sorry, go ahead. It feels like for Louisville, I mean, last year they could compete one through three against pretty much any team. Now, they might not win one through three, but they just could not compete at five and six. And so it feels like they have more pieces this year that can be more competitive at five and six, which is a good sign. Very well said. Michigan, the big thing, Steigliner, Swenson, Oral, all got a lot of run. Aaron Schneider banged up his wrist in the opening doubles, so you didn't get to see him in any singles. Michigan 3-0 on the weekend in doubles. You had no idea what the pieces would be coming in for doubles, losing half of their doubles lineup from last season. All new teams. They're going to be good at doubles. The pieces were there. Steigliner's got real weapons. His serve, his forehand. Swenson's weapons in doubles, particularly effective. Again, he goes undefeated on the weekend. I was concerned about Murd Oral, not as a character, not his energy, but I just hadn't seen his level in quite a bit of time. If he's their six, they're going to be winning Big Ten matches at six. Like, he just has that fight, he has the the speed, has the the ability. And by the way, we're slowly transitioning, Jay, back to, oh, yeah, we're back to six singles. Like, this is what six singles should look like. The golden era of extra eligibility is about to end. Again, no Nino for the Wolverines this weekend. They go 2-0-1 overall. Bickersteth undefeated. Like I, I just think this team, again, they're getting into the NCAA tournament. I think they're going to be in the top 25 all year long. Do I think they're top 16? Not yet. But I know what the I know what the floor is, and the floor is floor's not falling out from underneath this squad. Yeah, I mean, they have they still have guys, right? They still have yeah. connective tissue between last season, right? Like a Gavin Young, Bakerstaff, Cooksey. Well, I, and don't I think know Gavin he... has the game for one, by the way. Like his weapon sh- will work there with time. It's just patience. Well, that's certainly a Gruskin family mantra. <laughs> uh, and and yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't know about top 25, but 30, 40 maybe. Um, but we'll see. All right, Kentucky last, and I saved the best for last. They're going to be very good this season. Not not like, oh, they're worried. Like, they'll keep their top 15 ranking. No, this team is going to be top 16. I think this team is going to be top 10. And if they get Draxel back, 
this team has a real ceiling because their freshmen are so, so good. Jack Laudit, top 50 junior in the world, comes in lefty, solid physically, can extend through the forehand, can hit all the spots on serve. He's just good. Eli Stevenson, I don't know what his weakness is. I don't know what his biggest strength is yet, but he has the body. He has the size. He has the movement. He's good at everything. Very good. Very good. And then Matt Rankin has a real forehand. Matt Rankin has a serve, an ability to move forward, and a size and a willingness to grind that would work at six for 99% of teams. I don't know if Rankin's going to break into the lineup because, again, this team, which we didn't see this weekend, Lapidot Body Weeks. Kosne was playing in between Stevenson and Laudit for most of the weekend. He'll want to factor into this. You know, again, they might not need Rankin given those three plus Laudit plus Stevenson. And by the way, you're asking those freshmen to play four, five, six, not one, two, three, where certainly they will be as fit and as consistent as their opponents right away. You throw in a piece like J.J. Mercer, who's going to make any doubles team capable of winning in a no-add, one-set scoring format. They have this team just has real pieces right away. They're going to beat someone big early, and it's going to surprise people. And it speaks to I think Coach Kaufman brought in a stellar class. I think this team reloaded right away. Well, and that's what you're looking for in these fall events, right? These mm-hmm. new names you haven't seen before. You don't need to see Lapida. You don't need to see Body. You need to see a Jack. How do you pronounce it? Loud it. I went with loud it, but I could loud be it. wrong. I haven't okay. gotten the official confirmation yet. All right. You know, you're looking to see where those pieces will factor in. And I think they have they have guys as well that you didn't see this weekend, but they just have high upside, right? Lapidot continues to take big strides every year. You have feel like Jaden Weeks with his weapons, his athleticism. I'm looking forward to seeing what we get from him. His in his second year, we didn't see a lot from him this summer. But if they can find guys to fill in that bottom and just have a competitive four through six, right? Have someone like Cosne, who did play in the NCAAs last year, kind of fight for his spot. That's all you want for um, those sort of lower lineup guys. My hot take this year, Kentucky's going to be better at four, five, six than one, two, three. And boy, will that be a reversal from the Draxel, Hurrian, Ianni, Diallo era. That's my take uh, for all of you this season coming out of the Malibu showdown. That's all I got for fall college tennis results. Jay, you want to hear some pro rapid fire to end today's show? All right. Let's hear a it. Kurt 37 minute mark, by the way, is where we're at. So shout out to us. <laughs> I, it's not Kurt. Kurt is like rude. <laughs> it's rude to our listeners. Kurt is they like short and rude. Yeah, I know. They wanted more. Um, <laughs> that's what I'm saying, Jay. All right. Laver Cup, Shelton, great in doubles. 13-2, Team World wins. Sarundalo on the roster as well. College tennis. Good in team events everywhere, Jane. Sarundalo, by the way, looked particularly comfortable. Well, at, as he should, right? Yeah. Given his all of his six matches at uh, South Carolina. Yeah. Again, I'm rapid firing through. Lamons Withrow, their summer fall continues. They reached the final in Zhuhai. A shout out to them. King stalled their semifinalists there. I believe Mackie McDonald, Michael Venus, two other players with college tennis ties to reach uh, the quarterfinals of that event in doubles. You also had Nori Mackie, quarterfinalists in singles in Chengdu. Rinder Kanesh, a quarterfinalist in singles. I believe uh, Marcos Giron, Borges, Rinder Kanesh, semifinalists in doubles as well. Any thoughts on the tour level stuff? No. All right, challengers. Lexi Galarno capitalizing on that Davis Cup success. He makes the final in Columbus. Cannon Kingsley, another challenger semifinal for him. He's closing in on top 
400 in the world and you know again still positioning himself well to maybe play those fall challengers charlottesville knoxville champagne get in on his own ranking peniston semifinalist there as well in singles in doubles uh, it never loaded for me what happened in the Columbus Doubles. It has now. Cash Trotter, OHIO, they went on home soil 10-7. feel like you're always getting at least one Buckeye walking away with a title. Look, Robert Cash, if he wants to, should walk into the top 100 of the ATP Doubles rankings. He's that good right now. You partner him with the weapons of James Trotter. That team's having success, Jay. Yeah, and you partner them on those courts, those fast, slick, low-bouncing courts in Columbus that they're very familiar with. Yeah, they're going to have uh, some success. Yeah, and let the record show James Trotter did not play with Robert Cash last year. No, he won the NCAA doubles title instead with Andrew Luchanik Cash, a finalist with votes sold the year prior. Another title for County Fronson in Austria. I mean, you look for Fronson 89 in the doubles rankings right now. He's killing it. Tristan Boyer, finalist uh, at the Challenger, I believe in, I forget where, but he was certainly a finalist this past week in singles. Boris Arias, another title in doubles as well with Federico Zabios. And then, uh, yeah, I, I believe that's all. Uh, did I have one more? No, that's all of my Challenger stuff. Jay, you got anything for me? All right, nope. I won't lie. I didn't look at the ITF men's side of things. I do have Rapid Fire Women's Edition. Emma Navarro, round of 16, 1,000 level Guadalajara, consolidating top 50 spots. Shout out to her. Aaron Rutliff's making a top 10 doubles push, wins U.S. Open, finals in Guadalajara as well. She's partnered with Gabby Dabrowski. Those were your best college results at the signature event of the week. Uh, I believe you had Diana Schneider winning a match uh, in Guangzhou. So, again, she looks to continue to consolidate her top 100 spot. Title on the week, I think I only had one big title, 15K title. That's what it was. Shout out uh, to Katerina Jokic, Elena Kristofi, the former Georgia teammates. They win a doubles title, uh, 15K in Serbia. I think Jokic made quarterfinals in singles of that as well. There were a bunch of finals during the week. Fang Rantian, Ashley Leahy uh, made a final at a, at a doubles event. I believe you had uh, at a 60K, excuse me, C. Kazarov uh, when, uh, making a final as well. Some Jean Jean finals mixed in there. Any pro things, Jay, from the past week you'd like to discuss? Well, I think uh, Lords Carle from Georgia also won yeah. a 15K in singles, right? Um Good week for the Bulldogs. Maybe yeah, not as much at the Bulldogs. Battle of the Bay, but good on the Pro Tour. There you go. Yeah, so we'll try to mix in those results as much as we can. Still keep our eye on everything here in these fall editions of the Deciding Point. But more than anything, college tennis is back, baby. We got action for you. We'll try to cover it, if not every week, frequently enough. Obviously, with the All-Americans coming up when we have draws, we'll have a preview for you here at Crack Racket. So, Jay, you may be called to double duty this week. Any final thoughts before we wrap today's show? No, I'm looking forward to it. Pre-qualifying starts this weekend. Yeah, let's go. We're ready. It's the final normal fall. We'll have coverage of it all. We'll be talking about it here on this show. With all that said, a shout-out, of course, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westhoff. I've been a job day in, day out, making all of our content possible. With all of that said, for the fantastic John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, and all of us here at both Crack Records and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all tomorrow, next week. I'm not sure, but we'll see you soon. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.